We're starting a new series today that we're calling He's That Guy. He's That Guy. Um, these euphemisms that kind of appear in our culture are always intriguing, right? We're never quite sure uh, where they come from, and but all of a sudden they're prolific. Everybody is saying uh, these these things like, he's that guy. Where did that come from? I have no idea, but it's, it's out there, and um, we know what it means, kind of, right? When somebody says he's that, he's the person that you don't want to be. He does things that are obnoxious or inconsiderate or weird. It's, you know, stuff that you just, you don't, you don't want to be that guy. In fact, that's part of the euphemism. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. So that guy exists in all kinds of arenas of life, most often on highways, right? He's that guy that doesn't use his turn signal. He's that guy that's weaving in and out of traffic. He's that guy that goes too fast or too slow. He's that guy. Oh, he's that guy. He's that guy. I suspect that if that phrase was around 2,000 years ago, that there's a whole lot of people who would have been saying that about Jesus. Oh, he's, he's that guy. Jesus is that guy. Because Jesus did things that were um, outside of the norm oftentimes. Jesus was kind of a radical. He broke laws. He didn't adhere to traditions that he saw no value in. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes we're not big fans of Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus recognized that. So they would kind of refer to him as that guy. Jesus called him out on it at one point. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus said of the way that they talked about him, you say the Son of God came eating and drinking. You say he's a glutton, a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's that guy. Jesus is that guy. The thing about Jesus is he was never doing it just to do it. Jesus wasn't interested in just being a radical. He wasn't interested in just disobeying laws for the sake of disobeying laws or ignoring traditions for the sake of ignoring traditions. Jesus came with a purpose, and his purpose was to show us the ways of the kingdom of God. The priorities and the, and the principles of the kingdom of God. And he wanted us to know them because he understood that as we follow them, that we will live the best life that we can live this side of heaven. That as we live into the kingdom of God principles and priorities and so forth, that we will experience what Jesus described as an abundant life. The best kind of life that we could live. And so that's what Jesus was about. He was about showing us better ways of living life. So over this series, we're going to be looking at 
different ways in which Jesus was that guy. Things that he was doing that were annoying people, bothering people, making people angry, and why he was doing those things and what they teach us about the kingdom of God and how we can live. So this morning, as we get started, we're going to be looking at this thing that Jesus did that annoyed, this one really annoyed more of his friends and people around him more than the people who couldn't stand him. It was the fact that Jesus often disappeared. Jesus often disappeared. Like, where did he go? He was here and now he's gone. We need him right now. There were times where he disappeared and he would show up somewhere late. It would drive people crazy. Like, where is he? What's he doing? So the first time we see this played out is in the Gospel of Mark, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And um, I want to take a look at that with you. So it's Mark 1, 35 through 37. Words are on the screen. This is what it says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you! Everybody's looking for you. You can just hear the annoyance, right? So you can picture the story. Everybody's gathered in this house. You know, the day's kind of winding down and folks are going. You know, it's sort of like you would do in, uh, when you have company over. Maybe you're at your shore house. Oh, wait, you're here. <laughs> Sorry. You're, you know, you got all these guests and so forth, and everybody goes off to their, to their rooms to sleep, and the next morning, you know, people are getting up, and they're starting to mill around, and they've got things to do, they've got an agenda, they've got places to go, people to see, all of this kind of stuff, and somebody goes, um, hey, has anybody seen Jesus? I haven't seen him. Did you check his room? Yeah, I checked his room. He's not in his room. Did you check the basement? We don't have a basement. It's Israel. Um, Where is he? Where is Jesus? And so now they're starting to panic, like, where did he go? What's he doing? Why isn't he here? And they're, they go out looking for him, and when they finally find him, they're annoyed. Everybody's been looking for you. Where were you? He's off in a solitary place, praying. A little backstory, right? So this is Mark's gospel. So the gospel of Mark is widely understood by scholars to have been the first written gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was the first one to be written. First time that somebody wrote down um, about Jesus' life, his teaching, his death and resurrection. And Mark's whole agenda was he wanted to get it down on paper. He wanted to write it out just in case something happened to all of that first generation of disciples and nobody actually captured it. So he is writing in, you know, very quickly. He's not wasting time with a whole lot of uh, backstories and so forth. So the gospel of Mark, it feels like it's got a pace to it, a very fast pace to it as you read it. So chapter one, Mark doesn't start with the birth story. He's not interested in, you know, the whole 
angels and shepherds and wise men and all of that whole story. He left that to somebody else to write. He starts his gospel at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist and goes right from there into Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting and being tempted by, by Satan. Right after that, Jesus is then seen gathering his team together, this team that's going to be going and changing the world, literally. So we see him getting his disciples together. And then he is teaching and preaching. He is healing sick people. And he is casting out demons. That's all in the first 34 verses of chapter 1. All of that takes place. Jesus lived life fully. He was a guy on the move. He knew that he had three years to get the foundations laid for what would become a movement that was going to change the world then and change the world forever. Here we are 2,000 years later. Billions and billions of Christ followers have lived and um, have been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So all of that had to be laid, that foundation had to be laid, and he knew he had three years to do it. He was a guy on the move. Sometimes I think we have this image of Jesus as kind of this, you know, guy in a robe with sandals, maybe a guitar and a latte, and hey, let me tell you a little story. You know, just chilling by the side of the road in Galilee. You know, maybe I'll walk on water today. I don't know. Right? <laughs> I'm having fun this morning. I don't know what this is. That's not Jesus. Jesus lived an intense life. Every moment of every day was full. He was surrounded constantly by people who wanted to hear from him, who wanted to hear a message, who wanted to hear a story, who wanted to touch him, who wanted him to touch them. They wanted healing and to be delivered. They had, he was surrounded by detractors and the religious establishment who wanted to bring him down. He was surrounded by Romans who were concerned about this rebel rouser. And so he was in this crucible, if you will, of intense life. This is the life that Jesus lived. Every moment, every day was substantial and significant. So I want to pause there and ask you a question. Is your life feeling busy these days? Does it feel to you like your life is full? That every day your to-do list is longer than the hours you have in the day to do them. And that no matter how hard you work and no matter how much you do, you can't seem to get ahead. Does it feel to you at times like everybody wants something from you? That people are asking things of you, that people are pulling at you, that you have demands on you that are just overwhelming? 
at the end of the day, you just collapse into bed exhausted. And that sometimes even when you've had a night's sleep, you wake up in the morning and don't feel rested. There are those times in life because life, even in the best of times, life can be challenging. Life can be exhausting. Life can be demanding things of you that you may not feel like you have the energy or the resource to give. And maybe that's what you're feeling today. I've had seasons like that in my life. I remember one time in particular, one season of life um, where it was, it was literally just exhausting. This particular time, uh, the church was, was growing. We were in the process of building this facility. So there was a construction project that I was involved in. There was fundraising. There was the regular pa pastoral responsibilities and so forth. My kids at that time were little. They were six, seven, eight years old. Um, and, you know, that's, those are high energy, uh, kinds of, uh, days in the life of a parent. Um, those are challenging times. And I found that I was working 60 and 70 and 80 hour weeks, week after week after week. And I remember this one night coming home from a meeting, it was probably 9.30 or so, and pulling the car into the garage, turning the engine off, and just sitting in the car. Like I exhausted and thinking to myself, I can't keep doing this. I don't feel like I've got anything more to give. That kind of tired is what I would call soul weary, right? It's beyond just physical tired. It's beyond just mental tired. It's this soul weariness. Have you ever felt that way? Where you're just that tired. What do you do? Like, that's not something a nap is going to solve. Or even a vacation. As I sat in my garage that night, I heard the words deep in my spirit. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Those words from Jesus are recorded in two of the Gospels, both Luke and Matthew. And I want to read these words to you because they are energizing to a soul. So I'm going to read it twice. The first time, I don't want, the words won't be on the screen. I want you to just listen to the words. And I want you to forget me. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. So I want you to just relax for a moment. Close your eyes. I want you to hear these words. And if you can imagine in your mind's eye, that Jesus is speaking these words to you. 
Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound awesome? And it's translation called The Message, and I just love how it captures the meaning of those words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago that are as real today as they were then. Are you tired? Great question. Are you tired? Are you worn out? You see, you know, we can live life, a high-energy life for a certain period of time, some longer than others. You know, you may be a particularly... uh, um, strong individual, and so you can have, you know, the RPMs all the way in the red and live that way for month after month, maybe year after year. But eventually, it catches up with you. Nobody can live their life that fast forward all the time without it doing damage. There's a better way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Remember, Jesus is talking to religious people. He's talking to Jews. And they've got a religious faith that's all about the laws. You've got to obey all of these laws, all of these do's and all of these don'ts and all of these restrictions and all of these ways of living. And so religion became not a source of strength and comfort, it became just another thing that I've got to do and pay attention to, another thing that wears us out. And Jesus is bringing a new way, a new covenant to people. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll find and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. The unforced rhythms of grace. You know what grace is, right? God's unmerited favor. God's free gift. It's not about rules. It's not about getting it all right. It's not about doing it all right. It's about receiving this free gift from God, this life-giving, life-affirming gift of God, the unforced rhythm of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. God isn't trying to make you to be somebody that you're not. That's not the point of our faith, to make you into somebody you're not, but that you become who God dreamed 
for you to be when he created you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly rather than carrying the heavy burdens, rather than being burdened down with life, that you have a lightness about you, a freedom about you. So how did Jesus do that? He says in this, follow me, pay attention to me, walk with me. How did Jesus do it? One of the things that Jesus did was he got out of the intensity of life. He would come out by himself and spend time with the Father. He needed to be re-energized. He needed to plug into God so that he would have the energy and the power, have the, uh, his soul well enough put together that he could do what he needed to do throughout the rest of the day and into the month and so forth. When this was written, this was at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So this was in year one. He had three years to go. The only way he was going to finish strong is if he was being re-energized on a regular basis by God. And the way he did that was he would slip away and spend time with the Father. He wasn't wasting time. He wasn't rejecting people. It wasn't that he didn't care about others' agendas and so forth. He just knew that if he was going to be successful, he would need to be plugged into God. And if Jesus needed that... Guess what? You need it, and I need it. So I know, you know, the next question, it was raised by the little drama that we heard here. How do I do that? Like, if my issue is I don't have any time, now you're telling me I have to do another thing. This isn't something to be added to your agenda. This should be the agenda. Finding that little slice of time to spend with God is a game changer when you build it into your life. Some of you already do. You know, it's a regular part of your, of your day, and, and I want to encourage you to keep going with that. For some of you, this is a new idea, and you're just like, yeah, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know where I would put that. I would say that there are rare times in life where you literally have no time. That from the moment you wake up until you put your head back on the pillow, every moment of every day is scheduled. There may be times where that's true, but that's probably not always true. There are moments in your day where you could set aside 15 minutes to spend with the Lord. Maybe at the very beginning of your day, maybe at the very end of your day, sometime in the middle, where you could, if you made it a priority, you could schedule in 15 minutes. That'd be a great start, right? 15 minutes. What would you do with those 15 minutes? So it doesn't say what Jesus, it says he prayed, but what did that look like? So that's how you can spend the time. You can pray. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, hey, thank you for this and thank you for that and thank you for the next thing. And, you know, that's, that's the extent of your prayer. It's a conversation with God. God, this is what's going on right now. Here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I'm thinking about. 
Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm excited about. Here's an opportunity, God. Just raising up what's going on in your life to God. That's one great way to spend it. Another great way to spend it is in some meditation. Thinking about who God is, thinking about God's word. I get a, a, a text every day, a verse of the day, it's called. And so it appears on my phone. It's a, it's a one verse, comes every day. That can become part of my, my meditation process. I'm looking at that verse and I'm reflecting on what it says and what it means and what it has to say to me on that day. Sometimes that's how I spend that time with God. It might be reading the scriptures. It might be doing some study of the scriptures. You may have a, a devotional type of uh, thing that you go through, and that's, that's worthwhile time. It might be journaling, which is a kind of prayer. It might be listening to praise music. You know, if music just feeds your soul and having words of, of faith reflecting on who God is and how God works and, and just spending time that way. But it's filling your soul. Now, it's not a magic pill. Okay, so again, if this is something that's, that's not part of your day, I don't want you to go in and expect that I'm going to do this and boom, everything's going to feel great. I'm going to feel rested and ready for the day. Every day. Because it doesn't work that way. This is a discipline. It's a long-term thing. It's what's going to get you through life all the way through so you can finish strong. It's like any other discipline. You know, if you eat healthy, your body does better. That doesn't mean every time you have a healthy meal, you're going, wow, ha, man, I feel great. I wouldn't know. I don't eat healthy, but, you know, I don't think it works that way. You exercise, right? You exercise so your body is going to be healthy and, and, uh, and strong, right? That doesn't mean every time you do a workout, at the end you're like, man, I feel great. That was so good. I can't wait to get to the gym tomorrow. No, it's kind of a drag, right? At times, like, ugh, I got to do this, right? Spiritual disciplines, in some ways, function like that. It's not that every day I do it, I have a great revelation from God or I have some significant thing happens or I feel great, but it does lift your spirit. It feeds your soul. It connects you to our power source, the God who created you. And over the course of time, month after month and year after year, you're able to go through difficult times, challenging times, with a different kind of energy, with a strength that goes beyond your strength, with a peace that goes beyond your peace. That's what Jesus did. So at the end of that passage from Mark, right? So we read about Jesus went off to a place of solitude to pray. They were looking for him. They found him. They yelled at him. 
And this is what followed, verse 38 and 39. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching uh, in their synagogues and driving out demons. This was a respite. Before that, he was doing all of these activities, right? He has this time with God, and now he's ready to go back and re-engage in life. That's what these times represent. That's what this 15 minutes or whatever time you allot to it is. It's not checking out of life, right? It's not escapism. It's preparation for what's coming next. This is the best life. God wants us to go through good times and challenging times with full souls so that no matter what comes, we can say, it is well with my soul. Let's stand for closing prayer. So Jesus, thank you for the example. Thank you for showing us what the kingdom of God looks like. Thank you that even in times of life where we're being called on to do more than we can do, give more than we can give, that when we plug into you, you give us power. that we can live this life well. And so I pray that as we tap into you, we will know that kind of power. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks and the praise in the name of the one who came to show us the way, Jesus the Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Have a great week.